Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. The bull versus bear debate has heated up following recent U.S. employment numbers and market rally. Will these recent employment numbers prompt an even more hawkish Fed? Are some of the leading market indicators painting a clear runway for stocks, or have stocks gotten ahead of themselves? Joining us today to unpack these questions and dissect some of the different scenarios within this, the key economic and macro themes, is Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer. Urian speaks with host Pamela Ritchie today, and among other topics, looks at earnings season, which has seen 70% of companies beaten estimates so far, a fairly typical number according to Urian. But they've beaten estimates by an average of 1.3%, which is a little weaker than normal. The topic of a possible recession is also center stage, with Urian noting that the manufacturing side of the economy is already in a recession, but it is only one-tenth of the economy. Also unpacked today is the fluctuating global currencies seen of late, specifically Japan and the UK in 2022. Per usual, Urian will share some slides, so please head to at Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on February 6th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you, Yuri, and how are you? We're so glad you could join us here today. (laughs) Good morning, Pamela. Nice to see you. Great to see you as well. So I I wonder if we begin, we know what the number was. It was shocking, certainly the employment number. Does that give any further clarity on sort of how the 60-40 works? You said walking into the year, it was hard to see, but probably one would work. Do we do we know anything more? Um, it was certainly a blockbuster number. Uh, so no two ways about it. Um, payrolls came in, they were revised for the previous month. And, you know, it was a Goldilocks number, right? So the Fed has raised rates by 450 basis points. And here we are still producing these kinds of uh, payroll numbers. Um, and, uh, you know, January is so far, it's only one month, uh, of course, into the year, but it's basically the, the opposite of last year. So last year was famine, and this year so far is feast. So whoever was at the bottom last year is at the top this year and vice versa. So it's certainly an interesting start to the year. And obviously, January was a very strong month for risk assets. And the the junkier the asset, the, the better it did, right? So like the mean stocks, the non-profitable tech stocks, et cetera. And it's interesting, it's the exact mirror image of last year. And again, caveat being it's only one month old, but last year, basically nothing worked except cash. And this so far, first month of this year, everything worked except cash. And even cash was okay. It was 0.3%, which is for a month, uh, which is not, not terrible. But to your question, you know, a year ago <clears throat> or a year and a half ago, if you bought bonds, you would have paid for those bonds, right, through a negative real rate. And at that point, of course, this was unknown at that point, but at that point, we were facing 
a bear market that would actually uh, not produce the negative correlation that the 40 has enjoyed for so many years against the 60s, so bonds against stocks. Uh, so now fast forward uh, to a year, year and a half later, you know, the 10-year treasury is at three and a half. That's a real yield of about one and a half percent based on inflation expectations of two. Um, so that's, you know, a, a much better value proposition. Um, so at least investors are getting paid rather than having to pay to own bonds. Uh, the big question, of course, is if we do get um, another downdraft in the stock market, will the bond side offer that protection that it has historically done? And my sense is that it, it will. Uh, it may not be quite as negatively correlated as we've seen in the past, but I do think that the 60-40 is still alive. Uh, it took a break last year, but I do think that if we do get a recession, and I, and I you know, when you look at leading indicators of the yield curve and where the Fed's at, and actually we can pull up by 21 to show the latest picture of where the Fed is at and presumably is going. Okay, let's take a look at the Fed and the market, last tweeted by Urian on January 26th. And again, that's at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter. We cannot dismiss the, uh, the recession scenario, uh, even though the payroll data last Friday were very Goldilocks-like. Um, so my sense is that if we do get a recession, very plausible, and we can talk about earnings in a moment, uh, that the 40 will do what it's what it normally does, plus you're actually getting paid to be in that 40 through positive real, real rates. And just one quick note about this chart. So the terminal rate is still around the same. The market still expects the Fed to go to four and seven eighths. We're now at four and five eighths. So that means we're only a quarter point move away from the end, uh, presumably, right? I mean, this is uh, that forward curve in the orange line is just a snapshot in time and it can change, but that curve is as of last uh, Friday, as of the end of the week. So the payroll data hasn't really changed terminal point, but I think what is at, um, is at question here is whether the Fed will be able to pivot uh, nearly as fast as that forward curve expects. And I think the payroll data pretty decisively put a pivot, you know, <clears throat> much further away in time and not, you know, in 2023 to 24 as the curve now now shows. So I think that is the the the, the what's the opposite of a silver lining, but it's the, the, the non-silver lining of the payroll numbers is that the Fed probably is going to be stuck above neutral longer than it otherwise would have done. So that does change the dynamic a little bit, but obviously it was good news. We should put that out there to, to everyone joining you here. So, what, what is the opposite of a silver lining? Yeah, <laughs> the best description of that. Um, going through your report, you you give some um, amazing sort of dissections of what it means to be at this point. You know, sort of the cyclical dilemma, if you will, um, these inflection points. Can you just take us inside that a bit? A good example of the fork in the road that we're at, right? So, the economic data. For the most part are still <clears throat> pretty good as we saw on friday um, but the fed is in a pretty restrictive mode and historically we know that what that means and just to highlight just how difficult it is to make a call right now if we go to slide um, slide 13 this is an overlay of the pmi index which is a 
survey, a monthly survey of manufacturing um, uh, companies about whether their business is getting better or worse. We'll now reference the two earnings estimate slides tweeted on February 8th. That shows um, forward earnings growth in the pink against the PMI in the gray. And the PMI was released last week and it actually fell further. So it's interesting when you look at the economy, the manufacturing side of the economy is clearly already in a recession. But of course, manufacturing is only maybe a tenth of the economy and its consumption uh, you know, uh, that is really driving the economy and that you know, via the payroll numbers we're still good. But based on the PMI, you see that forward earnings growth follows that cycle very closely. It's about a four-year cycle. And based on the yield curve and where the PMI cycle usually goes, it wouldn't surprise me that that continues to go down uh, all the way into 2024. And if that's the case, then earnings growth, which is still expected to be slightly positive over the next 12 months, uh, will likely become negative. But then, you know, what I'm saying, what I said before, is that for every bullish argument or bearish argument, you can make the opposite counter argument. So if we go to the previous slide, you can show that exact same chart uh, with earnings estimates now in the orange. So now I'm showing estimate revisions, but it's essentially the same idea. Um, and overlaid against financial conditions, which of course have been easing because the market is seeing the end of the storm from the Fed. So bond yields are down, the dollar is down, credit spreads are well behaved and stocks are up. So all of those factors cause financial conditions to ease. So that's the blue line on the reverse scale. So that suggests that earnings estimates could be bottoming here. So it's, it's a very waffly kind of answer, but it, I, I just put that out there to highlight how difficult it is to make the call here. Because if we do avoid a recession and the Fed is almost at the finish line for raising rates and we've survived it, uh, then a soft landing or a Goldilocks um, is, you know, is very plausible. But at the other hand, you know, the Fed has done a lot of rate hikes, 450 basis points in the last year. And historically, you know, given the leads and lags of how forward looking the Fed policy actions are, um, it shouldn't surprise anyone if six months from now we are in a recession. And maybe we can dissect the earnings numbers a little bit further. But the earnings picture is definitely eroding here. So we cannot dismiss it, uh, the recession scenario, just because the payroll numbers uh, were still good. So the, the earnings, it just sort of, you said, even if the estimates, in fact, have hit a bottom here, it's sort of that question mark between the price story that goes along with that timing of, of where the estimates, when the estimates hit that bottom. Um, yeah, let's move on to earnings. We're, we're about halfway through now. The next slide is quarterly EPS estimates tweeted on February 9th, followed by the two earnings estimate progressions slides tweeted on February 7th. So yes, 251 companies have reported as of Friday. 70% um, have beaten estimates, which is a fairly typical number. Uh, and they've beaten them by about 1.3 percentage points. Um, and that actually is a little bit weaker. So here's my daily chart showing the estimates. This is from Bloomberg for the next eight quarters. And you can see that clearly earnings have inflected. They peaked um, in uh, the middle of 2022 and are coming down. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that earnings necessarily are contracting because estimates can come down 
but still be higher than the preceding quarter, right? So it's there's a nuance between a slowing growth rate and um, and an actual contraction. But if we go to the next slide, slide 10, this actually shows the earnings season right now. So this is the progression of uh, growth estimates. So this is expressed as a growth rate as opposed to an EPS dollar number. And so you can see in that purple line. So what normally happens is when you go into the current quarter, which is where the, the vertical line is, uh, typically estimates come down into the beginning of the quarter uh, because companies guide lower. And then lo and behold, earnings season begins and companies beat the estimates as they always do. And then you see a bounce. So usually you go down by about 800 basis points and then you rebound by about 300. And you can see in that purple line that we've had basically no rebound during this earnings season. So you don't have the bounce this, this so far this quarter. We're only halfway through, so maybe it's still coming. But I think that's a tell that there is some erosion going on in the data. And then you look at the pink line, the orange line, and the green line, which are the next three quarters, uh, which are starting to roll in. I mean, obviously, we're still a number of months away from those getting reported, but these are the estimates. And you can see just like waves are rolling in at an ocean, those waves are all coming down as they typically do, but they're coming down, you know, pretty, pretty hard. So the first quarter is already at minus five, four, second quarter at minus five, one. And those series tend to continue to erode all the way into earnings season. So, um, and, and so it suggests that 2023, will be a negative year. And, and we can show one more chart, the next one, that just shows the same thing, but on a calendar year basis, as opposed to a quarter by quarter basis. And you can see that the black line uh, is now already in negative territory. And that is the 2023 estimate. It was at plus 9% six months ago. It is at minus 1% today. Um, and as you can see that those lines tend to come down, except for the green one, which was post the COVID lockdown, uh, but those lines tend to erode over time. So it makes it very likely that 23 will be probably a minus five or so percent year for earnings. But then that still doesn't tell us uh, much about prices because how much does the market already know that and how much has it already priced in? And that's where you get into the super tricky part of at site, you know, during during the, the the base during the middle of a trend, and we can pull up slide three actually, which is my most colorful slide ever. Next is the vibrant earnings growth slide tweeted on February eighth. During the meat of an uptrend, uh, earnings and price are very correlated, right? Uh, but at the tails, they are not. So this That's chart. Great! Goes- I want to put that on my wall. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, this chart shows earnings in the horizontal, I should or which is slightly smoother version of earnings growth. Um, and on the vertical, I show the S&P 500 price. And you can see like in the middle of the trend, the correlation is positive as you would expect, right? Price follows earnings. But at the tails, whether it's the right tail on the right in the purple or the left tail on the left, which is the, the red, there doesn't tend to be a lot of correlation. And that's for very good reasons, right? Because the overall long-term run rate for earnings is about six, seven percent. So if earnings are collapsing at you know minus 30% as they were in 2020 or early 20, 2009, um, you, know, you don't wanna chase that too far because eventually history tells you that earnings will recover. 
And at the same time, the, the retail tells you the same story, which is that if earnings are growing 50% as they did in 2021, it's, it's not sustainable. It's going to go back down to 6 7%. So why pay up for those earnings? So that's what this chart shows. So we're, we are not quite at a tail yet, right? Earnings growth is, has gone from 50% in 2021 to now basically zero on its way to minus five, maybe minus 10. But I wouldn't consider that as a, as a massive left tail. Like a, a big left tail would be minus 30, minus 40. And so to me, the jury is out. Uh, whether the market has truly priced in a left tail scenario because we're just not there yet. And that's why I don't think it's a slam dunk to just assume that, <clears throat> yes, earnings are falling, but the market already knows this and it's already moving ahead of it. Because if we do get a recession and instead of 5% earnings decline, we get a 20% earnings decline, I don't think that's in the market. And so to me, this is not really a clear bull or bear story yet. And that's why I kind of stick to my outlook that 2022, of course, was the big reset for valuations. 2023 will be the year uh, of earnings. And um, and I think it'll for the market, it'll be a year where the bulls and the bears get frustrated equally. Uh, and certainly so far this year in the first month, the bulls, the, the bears have gotten frustrated because the market's gone straight up. But I think the bulls, uh, you know, I, I think the bears will get their day. Do you, do you think um, ultimately, Urian, that there is something that the market's gotten quite wrong? I mean, it's it's one thing to sort of have the oscillation, but um, what has it just been that inflation expectations maybe have been taken out of the the story too too quickly? Have they come down too quickly, essentially? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because when you look at the forward curve. Uh, for the tips market, which is the inflation protected side of the bond market, the expectations for inflation are basically 2% starting now until, you know, until the end of time. And, and the long term forecast of 2%, I, I could, I could be on board with that because if you expect substantially higher inflation, then you're basically fighting the Fed because the Fed is telling us two to two and a half. I mean, I think the Fed would be happy with two and a half because it has its new AIT or average inflation targeting, and also the Fed targets the PCE um, and the CPI tends to run about half a point above that. So it's a little bit technical, but two and a half percent, I think, would be a win for everyone. Um, and the tips curve suggests that we're going to be there or even below. Um, and my sense is, and, and this is kind of a consensus view, is that you know inflation clearly is coming down. Uh, the PCE is down into a four handle. And it will continue to come down. We see what's happening to the price of oil, et cetera. But you know, going from nine to four will be easy, but going from four to two will be harder. And then you run into timing issues, right? Because let's say we get into a recession later this year and the recession troughs out in early 2024. Just, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but based on the typical cycle, that I think would be a reasonable assumption. Say that that trough happens and inflation is only down to three and a half. And then you get the next expansion and then inflation starts to run up again as it typically does during expansion. You're coming then off of a higher base than what you normally would. And so to me, that is the risk of the market being too complacent here. And remember the markets are brutally efficient in discounting everything that's known. 
but it doesn't mean that the market's always right because the market is just the, 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 the manifestation of everyone's view and everyone's view can be wrong, of course, uh, and it often is. So, so that is one of the pieces of the puzzle. And of course, that inflation going down to two, I think is part of what's driving expectations for the Fed to pivot so hard. Part of it, I think, is the, the market is pricing in the, the probability or the possibility of a recession, which would necessitate a very rapid pivot. But the payroll data last Friday uh, argue against that. And that's why we saw a very strong rally earlier in the week last week. But that rally was taken away on, on that bullish payroll number because it throws cold water on the notion that, yeah, the Fed's going to five, but it's not going to stay there very long. I mean, it was quite a number. It was, it was, I think it was, I think everyone sort of fell off their chairs and they watched that come in. Um, a couple of questions coming in here for you, Yuri. And one is thoughts on bond markets, specifically in Japan, keeping an eye on the yen as well, but bond markets is the question and monetary policy there, how it could ultimately affect North American markets. Uh, yeah. So what's happening in Japan where they actually have some inflation, it's not nearly as high as what we have here. Uh, but that has put pressure, um, continued pressure on the Bank of Japan to, uh, to enforce the interest rate caps that they have. Um, and in doing that, uh, it pushes real rates down, which puts downward pressure on the currency, right? So it's a good, it's a good reminder that, uh, if you're a big country and, and you have a central bank, uh, you can manipulate a lot of things, including interest rates. But you can't control the currency. And so the story last year for Japan was that, yes, you can repress rates uh, just like the U.S. did in the 40s and the U.S. did in 2021 and may eventually do again. You can do that, but there's going to be some price to pay. And for Japan, that was the currency. And I think most countries don't mind a weaker currency, but the currency in Japan was down like 40 percent. That's a that's a big, big drop. And so it forced the Bank of Japan to raise the cap on JGB yields. Um, but even then, as soon as it does that, the market starts pushing against that, right? The market's always challenging you. So I think that will be an ongoing battle and maybe they will raise it again and, and finding the balance of, you know, how weak do you want your currency to go versus how low do you want your debt service costs to, to stay, right? Because Japan has a ton of debt. Um, that it needs to service. And, you know, it's okay to have a lot of debt if your interest rates are at zero, but not if they go to three or four or five as they are in the U.S. And that is, you know, it, so the story in Japan is a good window into what the U.S. and other countries, including England, and we had the whole episode last year in England, of course, um, uh, in the guilt market. Uh, you know, it, it's a good lesson of that there, there's, no, there's no free lunch. If you're going to repress interest rates because you want to keep your debt service down because your debt is too high, uh, the price to be paid will be um, an unravel, you know, an unruly bond market and a weak currency. So it's it's really interesting. So this is going on in Japan, and you mentioned uh, the UK earlier. You know, last year, it, it was a wild year for currencies. Is is there more of that to come for exactly those reasons, or or are these kind of specific cases? I, I think it's 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 nuanced because the balance is very delicate. So what we saw in the UK was that the prime minister, who ended up being in power for all of 42 days, uh, pushed things a little too far. Like during tw in 2020 during COVID, 
uh, we've got this huge fiscal um, impulse, uh, not only in the U.S., but everywhere because of the lockdown and totally understandable. And it was basically monetized by the central bank, certainly in the U.S. and elsewhere, not not overtly, but certainly indirectly. Um, and I think the markets were OK. I mean, we did have the reset in rates. But then in the U.K., they pushed it just a little bit too far. Um, and uh, they wanted more more stimulus, you know, tax cuts, and they were not paid for. And so it just shows you that there is a, a limit, like you can go up to that limit, but if you push it too far, uh, you know, the, the, the system could break. And so we saw what happened in the guilt market. I think long, long guilt yields went up 100 basis points in a couple of days, and, and quickly they had to walk back, and, and of course the PM ended up losing power. So it's a good cautionary tale that there are limits to what you can do. And actually, we think back to the Biden administration uh, during COVID, and we had, well, we still do, but in Congress, we had kind of the, the progressive left that wanted to take the fiscal stimulus uh, much, much further, like another three to five trillion in addition to what already was in place. And we had the, the two senators uh, that kind of went against that, the, the two very moderate centrist senators, uh, and Biden, I think, wisely said, I'm going to stay in the center and not go all the way uh, to the progressive left. And so that, that whole package was sidelined. But it makes me wonder that if they had pushed that, whether we would have had the same episode that the UK ended up having. Gary and Timur, thank you so much for starting off the week with everyone here today. Awesome. Nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. Until the next time.